Recovery Elevator, episode 236. And I drank because I wanted to feel connected to other people, which it completely doesn't really do that in an authentic way. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Sarah. She's from Vancouver, Washington. She's 44 years old, and she took her last drink on June 14th, 2019. In her interview, she talks about how drinking was causing her to miss out. It's a fantastic interview. You guys are going to love it. Before we get any further, let's hear from Cafe RE. The three most important lessons I've learned while quitting drinking are we can't do this alone, we need accountability, and a supportive community is key. In the private unsearchable Facebook groups Cafe RE, you're going to get all three and much more. What does private mean? Well, these groups are unsearchable on Facebook. Who's in the group and what is said can only be seen by members. You get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to ditch the booze. These groups are capped at under 350 members to ensure a quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking doesn't have to suck. In fact, it can be a lot of fun. For $19 a month, you too can join the conversation, be paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, online meetups, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and much more. Oh yeah, you'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I hope to see you there. Alcohol is shit. The book comes out in less than two weeks. Pick your copy up on Amazon September 7th. Before we get started, let me tell you about one more DUI I didn't get. You got to be like, dude, Paul, how many DUIs did you almost get but you didn't get? Well, Well, here's another one. Um, so while I owned the bar in Spain, I dropped my girlfriend off at the time at the airport in Malaga. After dropping her off, drove to Marbella, met up with some friends, partied at some clubs, decided to make the drive back, I don't know, around 2 a.m., three hours back to Granada, smart move, and on the way back, I get pulled over by La Policia. Of course, I'm shitting bricks, there's nothing in that car that says, I should be driving that car. My girlfriend didn't write a note saying, hey, if you get pulled over, just hand them the cops and say, I gave you permission to drive my car. So yeah, I'm worried the car is going to get towed, going to have an awkward conversation with her. And then one more layer of complexity is added. Oh yeah, I've been drinking a lot. So the Spanish cops roll up, see my license, the registration for the car, don't even ask that there's no correlation, and they smell alcohol. They ask me to step out of the car, They skip the roadside and go straight to the breathalyzer. So I blow into the breathalyzer, and one of the police officers walks back to the car, pulls out, it almost looked like a twister mat, like a cardboard twister mat sheet, you know, like right hand red, left hand or left leg blue, something like that. It had graphs and meters. So they took what the reading was and said, okay, this is the reading. He owes a 385 euro fine. And then they followed the reading again, followed the graph and said, he needs to wait in his parked car for about three hours and 30 minutes before he can start driving again. Yeah, true story. So I own the bar, so I always had cash on hand. I was able to pay the police officers the fine on the spot. And the guy goes, okay, according to our graph, you need to wait here till about 8.23 in the morning, and then you can drive home. 
Police officers drive off. I'm sitting underneath an underpass, hands on the steering wheel going, holy shit, what the hell just happened? Um, and I'm looking at my clock. I'm like, 8.23. Okay, I can make this. Seven minutes later, I believe I drove off. So that is another loophole or another way that I could tell myself I can't have a drinking problem because I don't have a DUI. In fact, in 2007, they didn't even have the concept of a DUI. It was just your BAC level of fine and how long you had to wait in the side of the road. I did some Googling and as of December 7th, 2007, you do end up going to jail if you get pulled over. Um, I got pulled over in March 2007. Yikes. Okay, that's enough DUIs that I didn't get. Um, I did finally get one in 2014, covered that plenty of times in the podcast, in the book, and that ended up being the best thing that could have ever happened to me. Looking back, had those other DUIs resulted in DUIs, it probably would have sped up the healing process from alcohol. Okay, let's get started. There is always a plan B. Okay, so what's your plan A? I know I'll get an email from someone rebuking this point, but I'm confident that plan A AKA the way we want life to work out, the way we had hoped things were gonna work out, actually work out 0% of the time for anyone. Those of us listening to this podcast got a huge wrench thrown into our plans with alcohol addiction, but it's important to keep in mind that everyone has these hiccups. Let's take a look at some examples. Here's a quote from somebody. I had failed on an epic scale. An exceptionally short-lived marriage had imploded, and I was jobless, a lone parent, and as poor as it is possible to be in modern Britain, without being homeless. The fears that my parents had had for me and that I had had for myself had both come to pass, and by every usual standard, I was the biggest failure I knew. Hmm. Who said this? That would be J.K. Rowling. Let's take a look at another one. This other guy was a Harvard dropout. He dropped out to operate the business he founded called Trafo Data. This company was a dumpster fire of failures. And the guy who did this, well, Bill Gates. This next one is, this guy had a tremendous business flop in 1831, suffered a crippling nervous breakdown in 1836, was defeated in a run for presidency in 1856, and then, well, we all know this guy is Mr. Abe Lincoln. This next guy's life dream was to attend the notorious University of California Film School, USC, but was rejected three times. This was Steven Spielberg. Thank you, Mr. Spielberg, for E.T. Love that movie. This next guy dropped out of high school, and then he had a failed attempt to join the Army. And then Laugh-A-Gram Studios went bankrupt due to his lack of ability to run a successful business. Who's this guy? Nobody. Nobody knows this guy because he was a total failure. I'm kidding. It's Walt fucking Disney. I don't need to read any more. You all are smart people. You know exactly what the point is I'm trying to make. And most of you are thinking, or have already said this, Hey Paul, no offense, but listening to your podcast wasn't plan A. I'm already well into plan B, and that's why I'm listening. Again, like I mentioned, y'all are smart, y'all know what's going on here. So great, now that we're all on the same page, I want to talk with you about your plan A, and the goal to move into an alcohol-free life. Most people, when they reach the conclusion they need to quit drinking or ditch the booze, have a plan A that looks something like this. Quit drinking and never look back. Sound familiar? Well, that was my plan in 2010, and it seemed like it was working perfectly until I drank again in 2012. It was kind of like Leroy Jenkins. If anybody knows that inside joke, that is an online gamer. Please do yourself a favor, go to YouTube and type in Leroy Jenkins. Very fitting for this podcast interview. So in 2012, I had to say, oh shit, new plan. 
Fast forward a little later. Oh shit, need a new plan. Later, new plan, new plan, new plan. There's a hell of a lot of new plans. Up, oh, new plan, then a podcast. Then I'm headed to Asia for probably the bulk of the winter to volunteer at a treatment facility and then to the recovery elevator sober travel trip. I'd say plan W is working pretty well. Even if you have to detonate the plan dozens of dozens of times, keep in mind that it's all leading to something better. We want to always be flexible with these plans and remove all attachments or outcomes to a plan. At this time in our lives, right now it's 2019, we've never had more options for plans to quit drinking. You've heard me mention hundreds of different plans, resources on this podcast. Remember when we were in middle school or high school and plans didn't work out? We were kind of stuck. Couldn't switch schools, couldn't change families, siblings, etc. But today, we can actually do those things. Some of these changes to switching plans are harder to make than others. I get it, but it's all doable. As far as a plan 10 to 15 years ago, it's basically AA or bust. Today, so many more plans are available, including plant medicines. For example, psilocybin, which is in the last phase of testing, phase three with the FDA, and should be available within the next three to four years under the supervision of a therapist to help treat anxiety, depression, and addiction, should be a plan. So how will we find these plans? This compassionate universe also wants a good custom healing plan for you. So here's the good news. You don't necessarily have to go out searching for this plan. Schedule some downtime at your favorite park or lookout point and let the plan come to you. After all, what you're seeking is also seeking you. Isn't that what they say when someone's lost? Stay put. We'll come to you. Okay, enough out of me. I hope you enjoyed the segment. I enjoyed putting it together. Now let's hear from Sarah. Sarah, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for joining us. Let's get right into this. When was your last drink? 6-13-2019. Congratulations. How does it feel? It feels so good. So great. There we go. And Sarah, give listeners a little background about yourself, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, your age, do you have a family? But most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? I am 44. I'm from Vancouver, Washington, USA. I am a chiropractor. And what do I like to do for fun? I love pretty much anything that has to do with health. So I love to exercise and I love to take care of myself. And I love going on long walks with my fiance. Oh yeah, I'm engaged to be married. And no kids. Yeah, I just, I love living this normal life without alcohol. That's actually fun for me. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, I love everything that has to do with health. I've got a big question for you down the road in this interview. Okay. Uh, Sarah, give listeners some background with your drinking. When did you start? And most importantly, when did you first realize that alcohol was a problem? Talk to us about how much you drank. Did you put rules into place? You know, scratch that. What rules did you put into place? Because we all do. Did you have a rock bottom moment? I'm excited to hear it, Sarah. Sure. So when did I start? The only detail I'll share was when I, I was about 12 years old. I had my first drink. You know, it started all the way back there. I didn't drink heavily all the way on from there, but um, it really escalated when I started working in the restaurant business while I was going to uh, University of Texas at the time. And the restaurant business was really where it escalated. And it was just a, a given. And as a side note, 
I remember listening to one of your podcasts about not being authentic in certain environments, like certain like work environments. And I look back at that and I remember having to put on a smiley, happy face all the time and how hard that was and inauthentic. And we would have to go drink the night away (laughs) to kind of deal with that. So that's when it really escalated. I was about 22. I actually got a DWI when I was in, uh, when I was 17. So that was also another signal that was like, Hey, this is, this is getting excessive. I'm not able to stop at just two. It got worse progressively from about the age of just ever since I started working in a restaurant business, it got worse from about the age of 22 on. And when I was about 30 was when it really, I would wake up and I was actually working for a corporation in Bellevue, Washington. I had a, I had a quote unquote real job and I was calling in sick because I was hungover. And I mean, I couldn't go to work because I had drank so much the night before. And I just like, this isn't, this isn't right. Like something isn't right about this drinking thing. So fast forward, I decided to become a chiropractor and I moved to California. And of course, you know, moving doesn't change my drinking habits at all. Sarah, let me ask you a question real quick. So your early 30s, you're waking up, you're calling a sick to work and you're realizing, oh, something's not right here. And the thinking mind, he wants wants to protect the drinking, et cetera. We're not quite ready to explore that avenue internally. Did it come up with the idea of, oh, let's get a change of profession and a location? Is that what I'm hearing? Looking back, it probably was. Yeah. I mean, it was one of the best decisions I ever made. Okay. But definitely was, was a was I need to get out of this environment Okay, as well. Yeah. Good question. Yeah. So I started chiropractic school, which was awesome, but I took my drinking right with me. And I also worked in a restaurant while I was going to school and it just continued to escalate. And the time when it was like really apparent that it was a problem was I was supposed to take a really significant clinical entrance exam. It's, it's major. And, um, I just, drank too much the night before, and I didn't wake up for it. And a lot of people are eligible to take a makeup exam, and I tried to play the sick, who knows, sick card, family emergency card, and someone finally said no. They said, no, you have to wait until the following quarter to take it. And it set me back a lot financially to do that. So it was a major, like someone finally was like, no, I'm not falling for your excuses. So that was huge. And that was when I first started to actually, I tried AA and I was about 32, 33. Okay. What was your initial thoughts of AA at the time? Initially, it was awesome. um, And I still have a lot of really great feelings about AA. Initially, it was awesome because when I walked into my first AA meeting, I'll never forget I met this man and he looked at me and he said, you don't ever have to drink again. And that was like this light bulb moment of, I thought, oh, I don't have to drink Again, there's always this sense for me with drinking that that I had to drink, like as if I didn't have a choice or something like that. Yeah. So that simple phrase uh, sounds pretty clear, simple and direct. I remember that time in my life when I was like, wait, what? I don't. Yeah, it's it's huge to hear. So you're 32. um, You get sober at 44. We've got 12 years. Get us up to speed. So on and off sobriety attempts throughout that time. And uh, I've had anywhere between six, nine, 15 months, two years, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And of course, my life always got better. But I always had this sense of perhaps I'm not an alcoholic because I could drink too and stop occasionally. But I never knew when that would be. 
I never knew when I could actually control it. And then just over time of the past probably two and a half, three years, I remember hearing also, I just want to reflect on another podcast is that someone was on there and she said no matter how much she drank, she would get hives. And I could really relate to that because I was getting to a point that no matter how much I drank, it had consequences. Either I was depressed, I was causing drama in my relationship, I was not motivated to go to work, I was getting all these really weird health problems that would come up from it. So finally, I'll catch you up to this last date is my fiance and I, we were sitting there and he's actually stopped drinking with me. And we just looked at all these problems we were having. We're like, okay, we're having relationship problems. I'm having health problems and I'm having problems with my practice. Like I, it was, it was steady. It just wasn't thriving. And I was like, I need to fix all this stuff. And he, we just looked at all of it. He goes, you know, and I've told him time and time again, that alcohol probably isn't a good idea for me. He said, why don't we focus on stopping drinking? Why don't you just focus there, stop drinking, and then we'll figure out the other stuff. And so that's what we did. And then about maybe two weeks after that, we decided to do a little more field research for about two weeks. And so fast, things just fell apart again. And that was when on 613, where I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. I just can't. And then I got turned on to your podcast and just so many other things. And here I am 41 days in. Yeah, you're rocking it, Sarah. I'm loving this interview. You're doing a great job. Let's back it up a little bit. I think you said six, nine, 15 months and two years, you were alcohol free. That time never goes away. I hate it when I hear, oh, I got to reset my sobriety tracker. Sure, if you're tracking continuous sobriety time, that needs to happen. However, that time is not wasted. Um, it's log time away from alcohol. What do you think it was after those, the six, nine, 15 months and two years, what was it at the end of that? I think you mentioned you're like, ah, I'm not an alcoholic. I don't have a drinking problem. Um, is that what it was that, that forced you to go back and drink? Yeah, often it was. So what I've learned about this sobriety journey, this opportunity, is that I would often go back to AA. And and I love AA, so I've, I have no problems with it necessarily. But I would hit a wall because I almost felt like I couldn't pigeon my whole myself into a place of like full bone alcoholic profile. And so because I wasn't that, I just felt like, well, maybe I'm not an alcoholic. And those and those were times I just wanted to check it out again. And I always proved myself wrong. I always got led to the same place, lack of motivation, sick, tired, depressed, chaotic life. So, so quitting drinking, this whole journey can be nebulous. It can be hard, it, 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 extremely challenging at times for some. And unfortunately, there's another layer of complexity added to it. And that's the people don't want to associate with, with these old school terms like alcoholic, even like in recovery, like, what am I recovering from? Is it forever? Yeah. And so what we have in our minds is what an alcoholic looks like is completely different than what an alcoholic actually is. So my vote, which I have lobbied for several times in the podcast, is just to throw it out because I fell victim to that as well. I said, look, I'm not an alcoholic because all this stuff has not happened. But studies show that like 5% of alcoholics actually have um, those things happen. So I'm like you, Sarah, I had to go out and do a lot of field research before I arrived at the same conclusion. And so, so with the rock bottom moment, it sounds like you guys just had a conversation and we need to fix this, but here's where it gets cool on this journey. Sometimes fixing this, we confuse with taking a lot of action, 
fixing this for you and for myself and a lot of people on this journey involves not taking action, is in not doing something, is in not drinking. How is not drinking, simply removing that toxin from your life, what effect has that had? Yeah, that's a great question. I I think I, I think about this every day and I notice that, but just as soon as third or fourth day of sobriety, I notice that I'm already sleeping better and I'm feeling so much better. And something I've noticed that alcohol really does for me is it takes away my motivation. Like I start to not care about things that I really, really care about. I love being a chiropractor, but becoming a chiropractor and seeing patients is just like, oh God, when is, when is this gonna be over? And now just naturally, I'm loving practicing again. I'm loving being with patients. I just feel like I can fully show up without any barriers between me and them. And I feel like I'm in integrity with myself. So it's just, it keeps, I can't say I haven't had any bad days because I have, but it just keeps getting better and better. And just not to wake up with that guilt and shame from drinking the night before, knowing that this just doesn't work for me has been awesome. It's such a gift. Sure. And the question that I was going to ask earlier that I mentioned when you first did your intro was you're, you're interested in health stuff. And, and so was I. I played a lot of sports. I played football in college, and I continued to work out a lot in my early 20s. And, and I dedicated a lot of time to that arena, and I couldn't figure out what was holding me back, and it was alcohol. Um, was there a junction with you, with your interest, interest in health, where you reached where you said, wait, the best thing I can do for my health is remove alcohol? Was there a moment? Yeah, yeah. Was it was it a time where it was like cloudy? You're like, well, you know, I guess I'll like do all this other stuff, but I won't look at alcohol. Yeah, exactly. That there was there was a time because I I would do all these things for my health. You know, I I think I've posted about that I drink you know bulletproof coffee with like the co the clean coffee with the butter and the coconut oil in it and. I wear minimalist shoes and I, you know, I love to exercise and I love to do anything. I eat organic and I, you know, I do, I have a clean, clean life. You know, I take supplements if needed. I do infrared saunas, you know, I get chiropractic care. I just always looking at, I look at ingredients and food, you know, at what am I putting, putting my body because I really care about it. But then I was doing this one thing, like, drinking, which is pretty much the worst thing I can do for my health. It pretty much negates everything I do to take care of myself. And it was really a matter of integrity. Like, wow, I do all these great things for my health, but then I'm like pretty much pulling the structure over my head by drinking. And yeah, it just became more and more real to me, especially because I kept coming up with these, these health problems that I couldn't seem to figure out what was going on. And now that I've stop drinking for the past 41 days, they're just starting to go away. So it's amazing. I got to a point where I was earning my drinks. I don't know if you can relate to this, Sarah, where I, you know, it's like if I worked out in the gym for X amount of hours, ran this amount of miles, then I would allow myself to drink. Completely asinine thinking. That's just the insanity of where, where it can take us. In 41 days, you mentioned you've had hard days, which is completely fine. Um, have you had any cravings or what are some obstacles that you've overcome? I remember somewhere around day 13 and maybe a couple of weeks ago where I was hitting, hitting a wall emotionally and I couldn't really figure out what was going on. I thought, hey, I'm supposed to feel better by now, <laughs> you know, and I, I reached out to the group like, hey, I'm. I'm feeling this way, you know, I'm feeling depressed or, you know, I don't mean to get too, you know, personal, but 
being in a, in a relationship, it's relatively new, but we were in the relationship before I stopped drinking and, you know, getting into a new relationship in my forties. Well, you know, I'm pretty set in my ways. And so is he. And so we're trying to, to bridge the gap with each other. And it's just, it's been, it's been rough. I mean, it's been really great, but at the same time, I think those are the, some of the most stressful things in our lives are relationships. So at those times I would hit some walls and I would get, I got a craving like a few times just because I didn't want to feel the way I was feeling. But I also knew I didn't want to drink because I knew it would make it worse. And so I, I just reached out to the group. Honestly, I would just let people know what was going on. And Cafe RE just, you know, people respond like, hey, don't drink. We're here for you. And, you know, people, do you want my phone number? And just the support that I've gotten from that. So that's kind of how I've gotten through the cravings that have come up. And, you know, they do. They they just pass. And then the next day when I don't drink, the next day, it's like all of a sudden I'm just thrown like a thousand gifts. It's just like my life just goes to the next level whenever I don't drink just that one craving. Sarah, you said something that I want to expand upon a little more. I loved you said I get a craving to feel a different way. Now, often when we think of craving, we think we get a craving for alcohol. Now, if, if, if it's within the first seven or three to seven to 14 days, depending on the person, but most likely the first three to seven days, it can be a physical addiction to the drug alcohol. Your, your body is physically craving it. So what hangovers are, 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 are withdrawing from the drug alcohol. Now, past that, a craving is what you just said. It's a craving to feel a different way right and and here's a tool that i implemented when i got these cravings is to recognize it for what it is we're not craving alcohol it's a craving to feel a different way and then we can take it one step further and say well what is the state that we're wanting to feel and just explore it and feel with it uh, and, and be with it so i love what you, how you described the craving for what it actually is it's a craving to feel a different way now let's talk about um, with with your fiance for a second, I know a lot of listeners heard that and they're like, "Oh, how cool that you can do this journey with a significant other." Because I get emails all the time, and I see this posted in, in cafe area as well. And listeners, that's how we connected. Sarah has been an uh, inspiration in, in the group and a thought leader in the group. But I see posts as this is difficult because so much changes. You, you met somebody when you were drinking in your forties, and then you 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 departing from an old self. And it sounds great that you're both going through this together, but let's go a little bit further deeper into that. How, how has that been to have an accountability partner as a fiance? And, but what have the challenges been as well? It's been really amazing. I actually, years ago, I read this book called calling in the one. And I remember this section and there was like, what's that thing that you have to do before you can meet that person that you really are supposed to be with. And I always thought I had to stop drinking before I could be in a relationship. And then there's also a part that sometimes when we get into a relationship that that person can help us take, go to the next level. And I just feel like when I came into this relationship, uh, to answer your question, you know, he knew almost right away. He, he asked me when we were first dating, he's like, do you, you know, do, do you drink beer? And I like, I, I like, couldn't even answer the question <laughs> because there's, it's such a loaded, I can't just say, well, yes, <laughs> or no, I drink wine. It was like, uh, in my mind, I'm thinking I might be an alcoholic and how am I going to tell this new person about this? So he knew about the possible drinking problem to start with, but over time when we were dating, he really started to see how detrimental it was. 
And I just, I kept having to basically convince him like, this is a serious problem for me. I need to do something about it. And so finally over time, he really saw it. Like I just kept saying it, like I need to stop drinking. I'm not sure what to do. So finally, when things just got really bad, you could say, we just came to the conclusion like, Sarah, you need to stop drinking. I mean, it wasn't something he was telling me. It was just that I had said it so many times, like, this is a problem for me. Like, he finally got it. So he was just willing to go on the journey with me. And we both realized that there were severe consequences to our drinking together. It wasn't just my drinking. It was our drinking. We would flip things around in our minds, which would cause ter- like terrible communication problems. We wouldn't connect very well. We would like we would have something called an invisible divorce where we'd be in the same room, but we'd completely not be connecting. And we just realized there were all these problems. It was an awareness thing. So it's been wonderful to have him as an accountability partner. I honestly don't know if I would have gotten this far if I hadn't had all the pieces that I have right now. And I think you asked another third question about that, but I'll stop there. Well, great job on on burning the ships over and over and over. Right, we, have, we need to have these reverse interventions. That's where we fully open up um, to our significant others, parents, friends, spouses, cousins, etc. cetera. Uh, and you were clear enough that he got the point. So nice job with that. And I didn't see traction in my journey until I had those reverse interventions and started burning the ships as well. And so with that, the second part of it is what has been the challenges um, to do this with a significant other? Well, the first challenge was I wanted to make sure that he wasn't stopping drinking, quote unquote, for me, because I I need the support, but I didn't want to be responsible in any way for that decision. That might be kind of a codependent thing to say, but that was a challenge for me. And so we would often talk about what are your whys for stopping drinking? Like I would talk about what mine were and he, he would talk about what his were. And it turned out that his was like, wow, I I'm, I'm noticing some lack of motivation in my own life. I'm noticing I'm more tired. My brain is foggier and all those kinds of things. So the challenge was knowing our whys and not doing it as like, well, I'm doing it because you're doing it and you're doing it because I'm doing it kind of thing and kind of pushing through that and being clear about the reasons why we as individuals are choosing to go alcohol free. Perfect. Sarah, what is something you didn't expect would happen in an alcohol-free life or something that you didn't think you'd have to work on? Well, I kind of thought that a lot of our relationship stuff would go away as a result of stopping drinking. And for about the first couple of weeks, it was like, wow, this is amazing. This is really great. But then we um, took that away and we um, realized that we still needed to work on our communication and develop really healthy communication skills. And so we're really working on that. And it's just been wonderful not to have alcohol in the way. So that's been a huge, a huge gift. Referring to the drinking is but a symptom. Have you explored perhaps why you drink? I have. I, I think I always want, I, I drank because I wanted to feel included. And I drank because I wanted to feel connected to other people, which it completely doesn't really do that in an authentic way. And I also, I, I also drank because it got me attention. And that was something I realized in a few of my sobriety experiences is that one of the first times I had a drink, it got me attention from my older sisters, which I really wanted. And so that was the reason why I drank is because I wanted to feel included and uh, like I was cool, you know? Yeah. And what is something memorable 
that you've been able to do in a life without alcohol? Well, something I've noticed is that is I'm way more invested in my life and in my practice as a chiropractor. It's um, I used to just go in, I'd show up to visits, I would take care of the person. I've been a chiropractor for 10 years, so it was like no problem to do all that. But now I'm invested and I feel way more engaged in my practice. Like I care about where it's going, I care about what it's doing, and I really care about my patients. And that was something that I had kind of, I always cared about them, but that was something I sort of lost. And now, you know, just something I noticed last week was uh, a patient has a thyroid issue. And I'm researching not only how to help her in the office with, with the thyroid issue, but also how to help her outside of the office, like with her diet, with supplements, lifestyle changes. And that was just that extra mile of investment and engagement and engaging in that aspect of practice. It just wasn't there. And that is very rewarding. I just, I can't, I can't explain enough how, how good that feels to care again about everything. hundred percent. Yeah. And, and you mentioned earlier the depression when you were drinking, how has removing alcohol from your life affected depression? I just don't have it anymore. (laughs) I just don't wake up feeling like there's something inherently wrong with me. Like I'm bad or, or I've done something bad or I don't have those clouded thoughts in the same way that would just take me down that rabbit hole. I just, it's just amazing. It, it just kind of goes away. <laughs> I don't have it anymore. I don't have those clouded thoughts that can take me down a rabbit hole. And yeah. That's the power and the magic that can happen by just simply removing something. Not much else has to happen. Nice job. And Sarah, you got 41 days. What's your plan moving forward? Just to keep on this journey. I discovered your podcast and then I've heard about other recovery podcasts. Something I love to do, which I didn't mention about fun, is I love to read and even that has returned um, my desire. I always loved reading books. What are you reading right now? What am I reading right now is, oh, I'm reading um, Here Kitty Kitty. Awesome. I'm not familiar with that title. And it is about a girl uh, who has a severe drinking slash drug problem. It's definitely a recovery book that I heard. And then, um, of course, I kind of sift through other books. I, you know, I have other books on my nightstand, too. But I did just read a way, The Way of a Peaceful Warrior. I just finished that one, and that one was amazing. I think I listened to that on audiobook who, uh, a couple months ago. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, I'm pretty sure I did. Good book. We have reached the rapid fire round, Sarah, if you can answer these questions. Within 30, 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? Yes. All right. What is a light bulb moment you've had on this journey? A light bulb moment is all of a sudden I'm noticing the world around me. Like there were things around my environment that I just didn't notice. Like as if I was sleeping in, like I was sleeping or something. Like I'll notice there was a stair railing <laughs> where I hadn't noticed one before, you know, or I'll notice there's like an extra step in the staircase of, of where I've been going on before. Like just all of a sudden my environment is all of a sudden coming alive to me. And I just, day in and day out, I just keep noticing little things like that. And it's like, oh my God, this has always been here. And I was just too asleep to notice it. Is there (laughs) anything you would have done differently when quitting drinking? This time, no. You know, it's, it's all gotten me here. I mean, even all the past ones have gotten me here. So, I mean, I wish I could have done it sooner, but everybody says that. And so I'm just grateful, grateful now that it's happening. 
And Sarah, what's your favorite alcohol-free drink? Oh, um, lately, um, my fiance and I have been making um, Virgin Bloody Marys. And we were never really vodka people anyway, but the tomato juice sounded really good. So we'll get some really healthy tomato juice and put some spices in it and celery and olives. And it is like amazing. <laughs> so I'm really enjoying that, that now. Sounds delicious. <laughs> it's delicious. What is your what is your favorite resource in recovery? Well, as of now, it's it really is Cafe RE. It's just been really a safe environment for me to connect with people and it's been really healthy and supportive. Yeah, so far Cafe RE. And, and books and writing and that's it yeah thanks for being part of it sarah and what's on your bucket list in an alcohol-free life well our bu my bucket list is we're we want to try to go to germany i've never really traveled too much internationally i've never really had a desire to and now that desire is coming so that's one of the first things i want to do is is check out germany yeah. And what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners? The biggest thing is I was attached to before stopping drinking is I was afraid that I was going to miss out on something. I was either going to miss out on connecting in my relationship, connecting with other people. I was going to miss out having fun. I was going to miss out on some great drink that wasn't going to affect me negatively. And none of that was true. If anything, drinking was causing me to miss out. And that's the parting thing is I see a lot of posts on Cafe RE that say, I went back, I had to try it again, I'm drinking with my husband, or I'm drinking with, you know, uh, so, you know, trying it again. And I just I haven't seen it work out well once. So that's the parting gift is there is no missing out with drinking, no missing out on any good stuff. I love it. it goes from the fear of missing out to the joy of missing out. I love how you said that. And before we depart, give listeners your own customized, you might have a drinking problem if line. Oh, yes. I didn't really mention this in my drunk -a log but um, you might have a drinking problem if you wake up somewhere that you never would have been sober. <laughs> yeah, that qualifies. Sarah, thanks for joining us. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for having me, Paul. You cannot heal in the same environment that made you sick. Seems pretty straightforward. What this means is you're going to have to change some things. Now, we can change some low-level things. We'll probably get some low-level temporary changes. Oh, I need to quit drinking. Let's go to a different bar or a different restaurant. Let's switch that stuff up. Go up a little bit. Might need to change the drinking friends. Go up a little bit. Might need to explore thought patterns, behaviors that might be blind to us that are no longer serving. So I love this line. I forget where I read it, but I'm always writing these things down on my notes that I can podcast about later. You cannot heal in the same environment that made you sick. Um, that is a fact. Recovery Elevator, it all starts from the inside out. I love you guys. <laughs>